All right, well, hey, good morning. He is good. It's good to be celebrating uh, that truth, that simple truth, and sing that alongside all of you today. Well, hey, as we're getting started here, I just want to just recognize uh, a few folks here for just a second. I didn't tell them that I was going to do this, but Jim and Dee, would you guys stand up for just a second? Jim and Dee Walter, 50 years together. So in light of our home team series, this is what commitment looks like. Just want to appreciate you guys. All right, thanks. Just want to embarrass you for a second. And uh, I, uh, J- I asked Jim, I said, really, you need to come up here and teach today, you know, on parenting, on, on uh, family, on home. And he, just, he gave me one word. He said patience. Patience. I think my wife would give an amen to that, I think. Uh, so just really, really encouraged by you guys and the example that you set uh, for our church body. Well, hey, it's good to be here with you guys today, and uh, we're wrapping up our home team series together, and uh, we're going to be talking about parenting a little bit. So uh, before we do that, I just want to show you a text that I got this week. It was, just, it was actually just a picture that I received uh, when I was about to come home for lunch, and uh, that's all I was given. It didn't give any explanation aside from just my imagination, like how in the world could that have happened? Yes, that is my vehicle, and yes, that is paint all over my vehicle, and so the funny thing was I was just about to like head home, and um, you know, in principle, my thought would have been, especially after last week's message on marriage, you know, which was so good. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to that. If you haven't, you need to go back and listen. But Stephen just gave this great uh, message on marriage, and so in principle, my thought should have been I must rush to my wife's aid and love her as Christ loves the church. In practice, I may have thought, now might not be the best time to go home for lunch. I don't know. But I did go home, reluctantly, I might add. And when I arrived there, she was frantically cleaning up paint, very frustrated, as you can imagine. Now, in principle, I would have taken the advice from last week and tried not to fix things, right? Aside from maybe help her. But in practice, I may have offered a few suggestions as to how to avoid this kind of situation in the future. Now, granted, it was whoever put the paint can on at the store did not knock it down well enough, but I pointed out to Jess, you know, dear, it probably wasn't the best idea to put this on your seat, uh, in the front seat. In fact, they make that weatherproof mat in the trunk for a reason, right? And this is a situation, uh, she didn't really like my suggestions too much, find them all that insightful or helpful in this matter. Uh, So I decided that I should stop being silly and get down and start cleaning up some paint, which I did. Now, in principle, I would have got down and cleaned up some paint and whistled while I work, right? Happy to serve. Now, in practice, I more likely thought to myself how I didn't have time for this kind of service at this hour. And to add to the adventure, I looked out in the driveway where my two youngest were waist deep in a puddle of mud, like just down in it, and they were just covered in mud. So I'm cleaning up paint. There's another mess happening just down the road there. And uh, now, in principle, I would have patiently redirected them, patience, right, Uh, since their mother had very clearly told them not to play in the mud, especially at this given moment. But in practice, my response was clear frustration, and I sprayed them down with a cold hose. So... There's parenting for you. Um, But as we come to the close of this series, we know that what makes sense in principle is messy in practice. I think that any parent in the room today would give an amen to that. It is messy. It's a messy work, but it is a work that matters. And so we're going to continue to talk today and really wrap up this series with one of the most important conversations that we could have, and that's this conversation surrounding the role of parents. It is a messy, messy job, but it is a job that truly matters. 
And as we said on the front end of this series, I really want to kind of tee up this premise one last time to you, and that is this, that strong homes are our best hope. I fully believe that strong homes are our best hope. It's our kids' best hope, it's the next generation's best hope, and it's our society's best hope because strong families become strong societies. And so it is our role, it is one of the most important roles that we really play to, to, to play that role of parenthood. But we know if left to us, or just messy people, we're imperfect parents, we know this, that the success if just left to us is a slim chance. That's why I love what Psalm 127 says when it says this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up and you stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. With the Lord's help. If the Lord builds the house, right? That's what's important here. If, if, if the Lord doesn't build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And so without God's help, this is an impossible task, right? But with God's help, what we can do is we can close the gap between what we know to be right in principle to what we actually live out in practice. When it comes to our homes, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to those relationships that we hold dear, we can take what we know in principle and live it out in practice because of God's help. Because we're not just laboring in vain, we're inviting and enlisting God's power uh, to continue to work. So we're going to be looking at parenthood. Children are a heritage, a reward from God. That phrase is really, really important because I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that ultimately these kids that we have in our care, they're first and foremost not our kids, they're God's kids. They're God's children. And so my role is to steward this gift of, of God. And really it's a, it's, it's a crazy and humbling responsibility to think about the fact that I'm raising God's kids. And I think it puts me in my place sometimes to just step back and think about, all right, how am I treating God's kids? How am I talking to God's kids? How am I shaping God's kids? This is an awesome blessing, and it's also an incredible responsibility because God's greatest rewards are our greatest responsibilities. And so we have to figure out how do we steward this gift. And whether you're a parent or not today, I think there's hopefully some things that will be helpful to you today because we all at some point or another have interaction with kids. We have an interaction with the next generation. And so some of you will have families one day and so you think about the kind of values and principles, biblical principles that are important. But I think at some level there's something all of us can take away from this conversation today. And as we step into this conversation today, I really want it to be more descriptive than it is prescriptive. I mean, there's great biblical principles that we can take hold of, but the application of that is something we have to wrestle with God. We have to discern for ourselves. And so I want to lay out some, some principles for you uh, to really wrestle with, and, and we're going to kind of talk about finding the sweet spot in these principles. So we're going to look at today the Goldilocks approach to parenting. You haven't heard of it because I just made it up, okay? But it's, it's, I, think, I think it's going to set a good framework for us to wrestle with these important topics of parenting. Now, you remember the Goldilocks story, which is still an interesting story to me. Like, 
where, where's this girl's parents? Like, she's just wandering through. She's finding, like, she's breaking and entering, you know. She's, like, jumping in people's beds and drinking porridge that she doesn't even know where it came. Like, I don't know what's happening, but, like, it's an interesting story when you really think about it. Like, and we read this story to our kids all the time, right? But what happens in the Goldilocks, you know the story, right? She gets into one bed that's too hard. She gets into another bed it's too soft. And then she gets sucked into that little bed. It's, it's just right. And she wakes up, and there's, like, a bunch of bears there. So this is, this is the general premise. It doesn't really matter, okay? Uh, but we're going to talk about that sweet spot. We're going to talk about what does it look like to have that right uh, level of each of these concepts that we're going to look at today. So we're looking at kind of the right application um, kind of in the middle of two extremes, all right? So Goldilocks parenting. We're going to be talking about value. We're going to be talking about discipline. We're going to be talking about cultivation, and we're going to be talking about expectation, all right? So these are the values that we're going to be talking about. Each of those is an important responsibility of parenting. All right, so number one, value. Let's look at value. Now, we have to find the right value on a scale of too high a value, too low a value. Before you get ahead of me and be like, wait, 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 how can you value too much? We'll talk about it, okay, um, just here in a second. We get the undervalue part, right? We see the effect of placing a low value on children and young people. We live in a society that undervalues kids, undervalues the unborn at every turn, a society that at it, it, it worst exploits children and exposes children to all kinds of evil, right? That we, this is, this is the society we live in. And so we understand what it looks like to undervalue kids. And we see a high value that's placed on kids in the Bible. The Bible places a high value on children. Jesus, in specific, places a high value on children. And in a society that really had a low value for children and kind of put children in their place, like children should kind of be, you know, seen and, and you know, not heard, all this kind of stuff, they, they, they kind of would put them in their place. And these kids that were being brought to Jesus, right? You remember this story? And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 Jesus doesn't have time for these little kids. Like, what, you know, he's got important ministry stuff to do. And Jesus calls the children to him, right? And so he elevates the value of children in a society that really undervalued children. And so we should make no mistake that we need to place a high value on kids. And we understand that. And Psalm 127 affirms this high value and it says that children are a heritage from the Lord. The offspring, offspring, a reward from him. So we get the whole, we should place a high value. But are you telling me that I can overvalue my kids? Because this can be kind of a sticking point. Yes, it is possible to place too high a value on our kids because we have the possibility of making our kids an idol if we're not careful. We have to be vigilant about that. You remember this movie, Jerry Maguire, and Jerry Maguire kind of comes in, and there's this kind of like climax moment where he comes in, and he drops this line that we've all heard, right? You complete me, you know, to, to, uh, to this woman in his life, and he's like, this is, you complete me? And he goes on to this like sappy speech, whatever. You know, girls are crying, and you know, maybe some of you guys too. Tears in your eyes, all this kind of stuff, right? It's like, it sounds sentimental, it sounds nice. But, as Stephen pointed out last week, your spouse, your significant other was not meant to complete you. Neither were your kids. And I get what we're saying. Sometimes when we're saying, well, this is my whole world, right? Like we point to it, he's like, this is my whole world right here. But that is not a position that your kids were ever supposed to be put in. The world was not meant to revolve around them. Your kids were not meant to be your whole world. They were supposed to have a significant place in your world. We're supposed to put a high value on them. But when we make them our whole world, we do not set them up for success, and we don't set ourselves up for success. Consider Abraham as an example. As you can imagine, when Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, this was just an incredible miracle. It wasn't supposed to happen. God made this promise to Abraham and to Sarah, and 
Here comes Isaac, right? And just the joy, the apple of their eye, and what an incredible gift from God. And after all the long years of waiting and anguish, God's promise of a child was finally realized. But what began as a healthy affection became an unhealthy obsession in time. Tim Keller, he writes about this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, he describes how this healthy relationship between God, Abraham, and Isaac became an unhealthy relationship in time. He says this, previously, Abraham's meaning in life had been dependent on God's word. Now it was becoming on Isaac's love and well-being. The center of Abraham's life was shifting. God was not saying you cannot love your son, but that you must not turn a loved one into a counterfeit God. Keller goes on to say, if anyone puts a child in the place of the one true God, it creates an idolatrous love that will smother the child and will strangle the relationship. And so as much as we think that putting, making the whole world kind of revolve around our child is a good thing, it's not. It's ultimately a destructive thing. I read this um, blog this week. It was a parenting blog, a biblically-centered parenting blog called Rooted. And uh, they pointed out four ways you can tell if potentially you're, you're idolizing your kids. I think it's a good litmus test for all of us to kind of to wrestle with. Number one was this. I cannot bear to discipline or displease my child. That's one sign that you're, you might be making your kid an idol, as if you can't bear to discipline or displease them. Number two, I feel the need to influence or control most things that affect my child that I'm trying to control every outcome, right, in my child's life. And one of the things I learned as a parent is I can't protect them from everything. I can't control every situation. And that's a tough lesson to learn, and we want to, right? We want to try to, we don't want them to have to face heartache or fall down or any of these things, right? But when we feel the need to control or influence absolutely everything that goes on with our child. Number three, whatever affects my child has the power to control me. And so number two kind of feeds into number three, which is, I, I now have just absolutely consumed by everything that happens to uh, my kids. Number four, my desire to protect my child is stronger than my desire to see them grow to be the person God created them to be. I think these are four things that would be worth just evaluating in our own lives. You see, making our kids an idol is a losing proposition for us and for them. The first two commandments of God deal with idolatry. You shall not have any other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And when we read those, a lot of times we're like, well, yeah, like obviously, like don't build one of those idol things in your yard, like then you'll be fine, right? But we can make things that are really good, we turn them into ultimate things, and they become an idol. And so we have to continue to check this so that we can give our kids the best of what Christ has for them. And I think the best way that we can add value to our kids to truly put a high value on them and the right value on them is to find our own value in Christ first and foremost. He's the one that completes you. And when you're complete, when you're whole, you have the ability to parent a whole lot better. So when my life revolves around Jesus, I'm, I'm a better parent for it. So number one, in terms of value, we need to rightly value our kids. Number two, discipline. In terms of discipline, we must discover the just right, the sweet spot between too hard and too soft. Discipline. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 talks about this. It says that children are to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Kids, first of all, if you're in the room right now, if you want one incentive to just obey your parents as it commands in the scripture, how about this? 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I mean, that's a pretty good incentive to say, okay, like, Mom, I'm not really feeling what you're saying right now, but tell you what, in light of what the Scripture says, I want it to go well with me, right? So obey your parents. And then it goes on to say, and specifically, he, he kind of targets the dads here. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, too hard. We can understand what too hard looks like. And some of you grew up in these homes where it was too hard, where it was just too hard, and it was absolutely smothered you to death. You couldn't get it right. It was hard. It was harsh. It was a legalistic kind of environment. And so we know what that feels like, right? As Gordon Newfield puts it, he says that children must never work for our love. They must rest in it. And so my love is freely given, but along with love comes discipline. Because when we love someone, we want what's best for them, right? We're not doing our kids any favors by being too hard. We're also not doing our kids any favors by being too soft. You were not meant to be your kid's friend. They've got plenty of friends. They need a parent. They need somebody that's going to discipline them and set them straight when they're out of line in a loving, gracious kind of a way, right? Being too soft or trying to be our kid's friend is not the best way to love them. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer pointed out, he said, nothing can be more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to their sin. The last thing we want to be is too lenient that we abandon the ones that we love the most over to their sin. And true love brings discipline. God's a model for us in this, by the way. And listen to what Hebrews says. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? As he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those that he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child that is never disciplined by its father? Discipline is important. It's an important function of love. John Stott talks about this balance between too hard and soft when he says this, Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Greek word here for discipline is padeia. And this would have been understood as he was uh, declaring this uh, in that time that in the Greco-Roman world, it was the father's responsibility to raise up their children to take their place as good citizens in society. That in the Greco-Roman world, that they were going to take their father's place. And so it was the dad's job to to mold them and to shape them into good citizens um, within uh, the, the, the society they lived in. Now, Paul was using this idea of discipline, and he was taking it a step further to say, Yes, we need to prepare them to be, you know, citizens of society, but even more than that, we need to prepare them to be citizens of heaven, to be citizens of heaven, to, to honor King Jesus. And so this was really the point of discipline is to continue to shape our kids' lives, and it's, it's our responsibility. He speaks to the fathers first and, and, and mothers in support of this effort to, to build this kind of culture of discipline. Again, not too hard, not too soft, finding that just the right spot. I think it's also important that we focus on number three, cultivation. Cultivation. And I think that we find that somewhere between do as I say and do as I do. We've all heard that old line, haven't we? Maybe you've been said to you, maybe you've used this line, but don't do as I don't do as I do, do as I say. Right? That's usually we usually say that when we're when what we're saying has, is, is off from what we're doing. 
right? And so we say, listen, no, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. You do as I say, not as I do. Now, here's the reason that that doesn't work. I mean, there's a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is that the goal here in cultivation of our kids is not just in shaping behavior. We're not just trying to change their behavior. Yes, their behavior is important, right? But what we're ultimately trying to do in the long run is we're not just shaping behavior, we're cultivating hearts. We're trying to change hearts. And if you just say, do as I say, that might change some behavior, but all down the road, it's not going to reshape a heart, especially if what you're doing doesn't match up with what you're saying. What's going to happen is over time, they're going to dismiss that more and more. Now, let me just be clear again, kids, here for just a second. There is no qualifier that is placed in front of honoring your parents in, in Ephesians. You, it's not just when they're, they're being good parents. It's not just, I understand that some of you have difficult situations, and some of your parents, you know, you might be like, you know, some people might be in situations where they're like, well, my parents aren't very honorable. But there's, this is not permission to not honor your parents. In fact, we honor our parents because honoring our parents honors Christ. That's the reason. So we respect our parents. We honor our parents. Now, having said that, parents, we should make it easy for our kids to honor us. By living honorable lives, we aim to live as honorable people. We do this not just by barking commands and say, do as I say, but by being honorable in conduct and character, by actually modeling something that's worth gravitating toward that garners respect. So the question that we all have to sit with is this. Would we be proud if our kids didn't just do as we said, but actually do as we do? And when you look in the mirror, when you kind of evaluate the kind of life you're living, would you look at that person and be like, man, I'll be really proud if my kid grew up to be like that guy, to become like us, to resemble us in conduct and character? I think that's an important question to grapple with. Now, we're all imperfect, right? We know, we know this, but are we striving to be honorable? Are we striving to close that gap between do as I say and do as I do? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. He says, listen, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And so he's saying as the role of sort of a spiritual father, which, by the way, some of you might have a situation where you have a spiritual father, somebody that you're looking to or a mentor and you're inviting into your life that might not be your biological father, and you're inviting them in to say, hey, you have a life that's worth imitating and show me, disciple me, shape me. It's a very biblical concept. So the question then for all of us, though, is are we living the li kind of life that's worth imitating? Paul says this. He says, yes, imitate me. But you're like, how, does he, how can he be so bold as to say, imitate me? Right? And most of you aren't going around saying, hey, imitate me. Right? Like just saying it out loud. You know? you're, not, you're just not doing that. But here's why he, he has kind of the boldness to say that. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he's saying, listen, as I make Christ my bar, then I'm going to set a bar for you to jump to as well. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, our kids, they don't just need biological fathers and mothers. They need spiritual fathers and mothers, those who offer both instruction in the way of Jesus and live a life that invites us to imitate the way of Jesus. And it is a both and. It's not just a whole, let me just go ex set an example for you either. We have to say something. We have to offer instruction. We have to ground them in biblical truth. We have to download the truths of Jesus into their life. We have to say something as well. 
But we also have to do something that aligns with what we say. Because right living is, is taught and it's also caught. We have to do both. So when it comes to cultivation, it's both do as I say and do as I do. Last one is expectation. When it comes to expectation on one side, there isn't expect too much. And on the other side, there isn't expect too little. I love this last part, this last phrase here in Psalm 127 where it describes children as arrows in the hands of a warrior. Like, what, I mean, what a cool picture of, like, parenting. Now, arrows can be really, really dangerous, right, if they're just kind of haphazardly shot in whatever direction, right? And so it, so it shows this awesome responsibility, but this delicate responsibility that we have that there is something dangerous and effective and powerful in shaping the lives of kids. It's like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Now, the expectation at the end of the day should be that we want to launch our kids well, right? We want to send our kids off in a great way. And now, obviously, there's no guarantees, right? There's free will. We have, we, there's decisions that are made. But we do everything in our power to set our kids up well, and we continue to point them at the right target, which is the right target is Jesus. We continue to, to download those truths. We continue to model those truths. And then we eventually release that arrow, which could be a really, really difficult thing to do. But all throughout our kids' lives, what we're doing is we're parenting them in a way to have the right level of expectation. Too little expectation is going to stunt their growth. Too much expectation is going to stifle them to just be immobilized. One of the examples here is Tiger Woods. I don't know if you've watched the Tiger Woods documentary. It's a really interesting documentary. And maybe you kind of have heard a little bit about kind of Earl Woods' um, relationship with his son and, and what that looked like. Now, um, if you watch the documentary, it's interesting to hear how Earl Woods describes his son, Tiger. And he's talking about him even at a young age, and he's saying things like this. He's going to be a great humanitarian on the level the world has never seen before. He's going to be a unifier that will bring together all races, tribes, tongues, and nations. You thought your parents had high expectations for you, you know? I mean, come on. Now, meanwhile, what he was doing, Earl Woods, was he was modeling something completely different with his actions. He was womanizing with woman after woman after woman. What did Tiger do? He followed suit. Because that's what was shown to him. And not only that, but he became absolutely paralyzed by the expectations that were placed on him. And while it might have worked for a while in time, that, that, it, 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 was, it was a crash and burn kind of a scenario. And so... We have to think about this. We have to think about what is too high of an expectation. And some of you, again, you know what that feels like. You experienced that. Because the expectation is never good enough, right? Now, I think the way we evaluate this is like, okay, well, well how hard are we on our kids then? What's, what's the expectation? When they don't do the game just right, they come off the field, is it all about all the things that you didn't do, all the things that you didn't get quite right? You know, or is it, hey, great job today. You really, you really worked hard out there. And then maybe a few pointers here and there, but I think we have to think about what the expectation is for our kids, right? And what kind of pressure are we putting on them by throwing those expectations on their shoulders? There is a danger of expecting too much or never being content with your kids' accomplishments, whatever that it looks like. But there also is a danger of expecting too little. Why? Because our kids innately have in them this need for purpose. They were made, just like each and every one of us, with a purposeful God for a purpose, that they have a purpose. And so we, even at a young age, we have to help them to realize their purpose and potential. 
And we do that with expectations. We have to help them see that they have responsibility. We've got to give them responsibility. We've got to set responsibility. We, you know, we started, you know, much honestly to the advice of just different parents around here, and I've said this before, you need to take advantage of the collective experience, like, within this church body. That's what it was meant for. That's the reason we're doing the parenting roundtable. So we can lean into each other. We can learn things from each other. But one of the things that we were kind of taught was this idea of expectation, you know, and giving even at a young age, giving your kids some expectation. And so we, even with Jude, like, we're already starting, like, hey, buddy, go get you a diaper, you know? Doesn't get it right all the time. It takes us some coaxing. But like, you know, four times out of ten, he actually brings me a diaper. You know, he goes and gets it and he does that thing. We've taught him the trash can thing. He throws away his own trash. Now, joke's kind of on us because he throws a ton of stuff in the trash that's not trash, you know? And you can just hear him going, trash, trash, trash. The whole way he's walking over, he's like, bro, that's my cell phone. Like, no, yeah, that's not trash, you know? So anytime you hear him saying trash, you know to go check the trash to make sure what actually went in there is trash. But we're setting already this, this expectation, right? I had a conversation with uh, my oldest, my seven-year-old, a few weeks ago, and he was, I I came to him on a Saturday morning, I had to go work in the yard, and I said, hey, buddy, I I want you to come out and work in the yard with me. We're going to do some, we're going to clean up some grass clumps, it's a mess out there, and so I want you to work with me. No, no, you're all right. Well, tell you what, bud, you know, like, like, I I just got to calm myself down for a minute, patience, right, okay, I said, all right, buddy, uh, let me explain some ways some things work around here, you know? Like, uh, let's just, can't really say no, but here's the deal. You, you, you like the internet, right? You use the internet here, right? We get into this whole thing. Like, some things my parents said to me, you know? Like, um, you, you use the internet, right? You like using that? It's like, tell you what, like, if you tell me no on the yard stuff, I think we might set up a new system around here. And you might be able to then earn internet credits based on the amount of work that you do outside. Now, I would prefer we don't operate on that system. What I prefer is that I'm just generous with my internet, and you're generous with your time. And he thought about it for a little while. He's pretty reasonable. He's like, okay, I'll go out. So <laughs> comes out, works in the yard with me. And what I loved about it was he's talking about it all day. He's like, but Dad, doesn't the yard look good? Like, we worked out there for a while, didn't we? Like, I'm teaching him responsibility. I'm taking, teaching him, like, what it looks like to actually have the pride of a job well done, right? And this is important. I think even at a young age for us to have expectations. Our, our kids should be contributing part of the family, right? We should just do everything for them, right? Because it doesn't set them up well later. And so I think it's important. And then I think the expectations are just different over time. And you have to, as a, again, as a parent, discern what's the right level of expectation. When I was getting out of school, my dad basically said, hey, you come here for a little while, and stay here for a little while, and he's like, I appreciate that, Dad, because I need some time to get on my feet, but I knew that that little while, he had an expectation, and that after a little while, that arrow was getting launched out of the house, you know, and in one way or another, there it is, and and I appreciate that. He did that for all of us, and he set that expectation, and what it meant is I had to land on my feet. I had to figure out a way to land on my feet. I had to have a plan in place, and so Again, we wrestle with what this looks like in terms of expectation at every stage of the game, you know? And again, I'm not trying to be prescriptive, just descriptive. What does it look like for you as you're uh, doing this for your kids? I love this story. There's another story. We talked about the Abraham example earlier. There's another example uh, of a young lady named Hannah who had prayed um, for for just, she wasn't so young actually at the reading of the story, but um, she had prayed for a child over and over again. She wanted this blessing of a child. And she made this pact with God. She said, listen, 
Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. And people were mocking her throughout this and everything. And, and so she's, she's just saying, listen, if you just know what I've gone through, remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Give me a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. That's one thing to say about like that. It's an entirely another thing to actually mean that and to say, you know what, if I do one thing, I just want to continue to vow to just launch this kid back into your care and continue to, to set the right target and aim them in the right direction and ultimately set them up to serve you uh, when they're finally released out into the world. And so as we think about this idea of parenting and this responsibility, this, this awesome incredible responsibility of this arrow in our hands we want to not just raise our kids well we want to release our kids well too and that's a good uh, i think test of, of what it looks like at the end of the day is just be able to release our kids well to be setting them up in the right kinds of ways and i think every parent just wants that we're all just trying to do the best that we can to prepare our kids right releasing them in bigger and bigger ways, continue to set great expectations for them, not because we're trying to hold them back, but quite the opposite, because we love them and we want to send them out to make a difference in our world. And this is how we make that ripple effect throughout society. This is how we make that ripple effect throughout generations, is we continue to release kids out in the direction of Jesus. Now, I know there's no guarantees, but with the Lord's help, we're imperfect, but with the help of the perfect God, we can do this and we will continue to do this. As we continue to think about the right level of value, the right level of discipline, the right level of cultivation, and the right expectations. Began today with a confession that it's messy. It's messy, but it matters. And I think as we come to the conclusion of this series, one of the things I say is this topic can't just stop here. We have to continue to go home and do the homework. See what I did there? I couldn't help myself, you know. So we got to continue. This doesn't stop here. We got to continue to, to grow in this area. We got to continue to allow God to change us as we shape the lives of those in our care. So I began today with a confession, and it was just like this God, we can't do it without you. Unless you build the house, we know we're laboring in vain, and we don't want to do that. We want to labor with purpose and intentionality with your help. God, build our houses, build our homes build this church. So I began with a confession. I want to end with a blessing today as we close out this series. And so if you would just stand with me to your feet, we're going to close the series in this way. And I just want to read this blessing that comes out of number six over you. And this was a blessing that the Lord instructed the priests of Moses' day to bless God's people with. And so I just want to speak this over you. Number six, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You may be seated. God, we pray that blessing. We're asking for your help. We know that we can't do it on our own, God. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your favor. We ask for your help. We know that Having that strong home isn't going to happen overnight, so help us to continue to build alongside you, God, that we want you to build the house. We want to just labor alongside you. We're asking for your guidance. We're asking for your direction. We really do believe, God, that strong homes are our best hope. 
guide us into the future that you have in store for us. We pray that you continue to create a culture within this church body that comes alongside families that doesn't just, that, that actually rallies behind families. We don't want to just root for the home team. We want to rally behind the home team, guys. So we're just asking that you would give us the ability as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to, to come alongside each other in this. And so we ask for your grace. If there's still folks out there that are feeling imperfect, they're feeling like they didn't quite do something right or they're whatever, I just pray your grace would flood into their life right now and into their heart and you'd remind them that it's ultimately you that builds the house. And so God, please just keep working to completion, God, what you have envisioned in our homes. We pray this in Jesus' name.